I think what we'll do is we'll go to Romans chapter 15 this morning. Romans chapter 15. And uh, we've got a window here of opportunity. Pastor says you get out about 1.30, so I think I've got plenty of time, Pastor, to get this message done uh, this morning. But Romans chapter 15, and let's go down to verse number 30. Romans chapter 15, verse 30. Let's stand as I, as I read this verse. We'll have, have a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll, we'll look into it. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Father, thank you for the time to be here today. Uh, thank you, Father, for this church. Bless us today as we look into your word. God, give us grace. And uh, Father, give us understanding. Uh, I can uh, try to teach your word, but it is truly your spirit who gives us understanding. It is your spirit who illuminates our hearts and minds to gain what you are truly saying in that truth. So we, we pray for his work here today. Uh, we pray if there be any lost here today that you would deal and work in their hearts and draw them unto Christ. But mostly, Lord, here this morning, I'm preaching to the saved. And I ask that you would help us to see anew and afresh, Lord, our role in missions and what you would have us uh, to be fulfilling in that role by your grace through our prayers to God for our missionaries. Thank you again for this time, for this church. And it's in Christ's name we ask and pray. Amen. All right, please be seated. As we look in our passage and we see Paul here writing, he he is begging, he is pleading with the believers in Rome uh, that they would pray for him. Do you see that? Now, I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren... Uh, as he's writing here, uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit. So his two motivations in this request that he is pleading with them for is uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, which we could say uh, for the glory of Christ and for the love of the Spirit. Uh, that love that was shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit of God, Romans chapter 5, but maybe that love that, that propels us, that love that motivates us, that love that gives us a desire to please our Father, to see our Lord uh, glorified. But for those two motivations, he says, I'm, 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 I'm pleading with you that you would strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul was a sent one. Paul was an apostle. Uh, Paul, most of his uh, ministry surrounds being a missionary and taking the gospel out. And basically what he's saying to the believers in Rome is, listen, I'm, I'm traveling. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm planning to go to Spain. On my way to Spain, I'm going to stop by and see you. But as I'm doing this work that God has called me to do, uh, I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now the word in Greek, ye strive together with, kind of gives us a couple of thoughts. That's one word in Greek. And the first thought is the type of prayers that Paul is asking for. Ye strive together with is where we get our word for agonizing or agony. And it brings the thought of, 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 a, of a turmoil, of a wrestling as we, as we pray. So he's not asking us for prayers where we get a prayer sheet and we just kind of read down the prayer sheet. He's asking us to really invest ourselves in that prayer, to go to war, so to speak, in that prayer, to lay it all out on the line as we, as we wrestle, as we agonize, as we cry out to God for the Apostle Paul and for this work that God has called him to. Another thought about the word you strive together with is that it's a word that was used to describe in the Greek games a team competition. In fact, I've got something written out here I want you to listen to. It was used in classical Greek as an athletic term describing the concerted action of a team of athletes in the Greek games. I've got written underneath here where I've copied. It says it literally means to contend along with, to share in a contest. 
So think about for a moment in the terms of, of missions and Paul as a missionary and as he's writing to these believers in Rome, I am going, God has called me to go and I'm willingly going to these places. But, but your part on the team, how you share in this contest with me is by your prayers to God for me. So if you have not been called to go, it means that God is calling you to stay. And if you're called to stay, which not everyone's called to go, but if you are called to stay, you're still called to have a part in world evangelism, right? It's called the Great Commission. And the church is to be taking the gospel out into all the world, sending out missionary Missionaries sent ones to go into all the world. And we see some that you have on your, your back wall back there. Those that you have sent out to go. And we financially invest in their ministries as we send them to go. But we don't just share in the contest with them as we give unto them and these finances allowing them to take the gospel into these different parts of the world. But really even a greater way that we have an uh, in, uh, impact in their ministries is by our prayers to God for them. We share in the contest with them as we pray to God for them. Now, if we can catch this thought or this concept or this truth, I think it will help us much as we pray because your prayers to God for them are are not just important. Your prayers to God for them are imperative. I want to read to you another quote that I have here uh, from from uh, someone that that spoke about prayer and writes: Almost everyone believes that prayer is important, but there is a difference between believing that prayer is important and believing it is essential. Essential means that there are things that will not happen without prayer. All of us in this room, the church I pastored in Kansas City, we had some sweet people. Everyone in the church would agree and would say that prayer was important. And we would all agree with that this morning. Prayer is important. But do we really believe that prayer is essential? Because essential means that there are things that are not going to happen except we pray. Uh, We had prayer meetings in our church in Kansas City, and I would say that the least attended meetings that that I had as pastor of the church there was the prayer meetings. We had a men's prayer meeting on Monday nights. We had a kind of a a Wednesday night prayer service and where we would come together as a body and we would pray. And it just seemed to be hard to get people to come for just prayer. In fact, on Wednesday night, we we had our prayer first and we had a Bible study second. And we would have more people that would come for the Bible study than we would for the time of prayer. Now, maybe it was because they were coming home late from work or whatever and they couldn't get there till the Bible study. But I'm just saying it was hard to get people to pray. And, And if we really believe that prayer was essential, in other words, that God is not going, there's some things that are not going to happen unless we pray, do you think we would pray more often? Do you think we'd be more invested in prayer if we really believed that God answers prayer? I bet you every one of us in this room that's a born-again believer would raise their hand and say, God answers prayer. I've seen Him answer prayer in my life, and I know that He's a God who answers prayer. Well, you have missionaries that are going out into the world, and your prayers for them as they represent your church, and they're in these various parts of the world, there are things that are not going to happen on the mission fields where they have been sent by God unless you're here praying for them. It's just not going to happen. You think about uh, Exodus chapter 17. What happens in Exodus 17? You remember where Moses is up on the, the hill looking down. Joshua is down below in the valley, right? 
And uh, he's fighting the Minnesotans over there, right? We're in Wisconsin. We'll make it. They're Minnesotans. They're the bad guy. No, the Amalekites. That's where he is. He's fighting the, the Amalekites down in the valley. And you remember as Joshua is battling down in the valley, as he goes to, to fight down there, that while Moses' hands are raised up, indicating, reflecting, symbolizing prayer unto God, dependence unto God, while his hands are raised up, Joshua is seeing victory down below. But the moment his hands get tired and his hands come down, what happens to Joshua and the rest of the soldiers that are doing the battle down below in the valley? They begin to lose. They begin to be defeated, right? And then praise God, there was Aaron and Hur, because they get Moses' hands, his hands go back up, and they help to stabilize those hands to keep them up until the victory down below in the valley was secured and was final and was done. Well, let me ask you this question. Where was the battle really won? Where was the victory in the battle? Say, well, obviously Joshua, the physical victory in battle that was won was by Joshua down below. But yeah, but really, where was the battle won? The battle was won where? Up on the hill. You've got missionaries that are going into all over the world. They're going down into the valley. They're going down into some very dark places, dangerous places, places where Satan has strongholds, places where the gospel is is not known, nor has the gospel ever probably been in some of these areas in the history of man. And they're going down into these places to do battle on the front lines, so to speak. But where is the victory for their ministries and for the gospel ministry there? Where is the victory really going to be won in these places where they have gone? The victory is going to be won up here on the hill. The victory is going to be won back here in the local churches that are on the team. We're we're on the same team. We, We are sharing in this contest with them by our prayers to God for them. That is where the victory is going to be won. I think I've got a quote up there by a guy who writes, prayer, uh, prayer is, is uh, how does it go? Right, let me get up here and see if I can read it. it was, it's a good thought here for us uh, this morning. He says, uh, he says it this way, prayer is not preparation for the battle, it is the battle. So prayer is the battle. And what our missionaries need, more than they need anything else, is they need our prayers. And they desperately need our prayers. I I played basketball. I I shared this morning. Uh, On a basketball team, you have five players. You could take five average basketball players that play as a team together, each one fulfilling their roles, and they can beat teams that have greater athletes. Because you might have five great athletes over here, but they don't play as a team. They don't fulfill the roles that their coach has given them. And and so therefore they can be defeated. Why? Because they play more individually. They don't play as a team. Well, if you have a missionary, he may be a superstar missionary. He may be greatly gifted of God. He may have a great heart. He may have a great purpose. God has called him. He's answered that call. He's gone to that mission field. But if he is one alone over there by himself and he doesn't have a team working with him back here, praying for him, cheering in the contest with him, his ministry is not going to be what it could be or should be for the glory of Christ. So you could say that not all of us have been called to worldwide missions to go, but all of us here are being called to have a part in worldwide missions by our prayers to God 
for our missionaries. Everyone in this room, everyone that's a member of this church, we have missionaries that we support, and we are called to support them, not only through our finances, but through our prayers to God for them. Now, I just want to give you a couple of thoughts this morning of how you can pray for your missionaries, all right? And first, I want to give you a thought of how you can pray practically for your missionary. And then secondly, how you can pray. I'll give you some biblical thoughts of how you can pray. So let's begin with how I can pray practically for my missionary. And and underneath this, just a couple of thoughts again this morning. Number one, I can pray practically for my missionary concerning culture. Culture. That is, that the missionary can understand the culture to which he's been called. You know, every culture is different. I mean, every culture in the world, as you travel to that culture, you'll find differences within that culture. Uh, You'll find uh, uh, in that culture just uh, ways that they've come to conclusions because of the history of that culture. Every culture is a little bit different. Haven't had what we've had here in general in America from a kind of Judeo-Christian kind of background that we've had here. And so you go out into the world, you find very different ways of thinking. Well, number one, it's important for the missionary to understand that culture because uh, he doesn't want to just offend the culture because of some, something silly. For example, in Ukraine, if I put my hand in my pocket while I was preaching in Ukraine, I would offend everyone in that auditorium. So, so if, if I don't want them to hear a word I'm going to say, and I just want to be speaking to myself this morning, I'll, I'll just put my hands in my pocket and no one's going to hear what I have to say this morning because that's disrespectful to them. So do you think it's kind of important then to kind of know a little bit about the culture? Uh, If I was to sit up on the platform and and, and be seated, and if I was to cross my legs and show everyone the sole of my shoe, that would almost be like giving the middle finger here in the United States. So, I mean, it's important that I kind of know a little bit about culture, that I don't just offend them for silly reasons in the culture. But another thought about culture and understanding the culture is that the more I understand their culture, the better I'm enabled to relate the Word of God to them. Because I'm understanding more about how their mind works and how they think. We think about Paul in Acts chapter 17, when he comes to Mars Hill. Do you remember the great message he preaches there in Acts 17? And do you remember that during that message, he quotes from their poets. What does that tell you, Paul quoting from their poets? It's telling you that in some ways he studied their culture to try to understand their thinking a little bit more that he could better relate the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. While Jill and I were in Lithuania, we were there for almost 10 years, we were still learning culture. We were still learning why they thought some of the things they thought. We were still learning about that. I think it's important for your missionary to understand it. And I think even if he's been there, some cultures are more different than others. Even if he's been there for 10 or 15 years, he's still learning more about the culture. We should pray that God will give them a greater understanding of that culture. And not just to understand the culture, but sometimes to endure the culture. I mean, I understood the culture sometimes, but sometimes it's just hard to kind of go through it, to endure it, because it sometimes can be very difficult. We were speaking with a family that was in Cambodia, had been in Cambodia as missionaries, and they were speaking about uh, when the Hindus would get up and they would have these prayer chants in the middle of the night, two or three in the morning, out in the streets, just uh, chanting these demonic prayers. It would wake everybody up in the family. Man, it could be kind of hard just to say, I just don't want to live in this place anymore, right? To endure it. I kind of see food as a part of culture. 
How many of you like food here today? I can see some of us like food more than others, right? But, but in, in Ukraine, they have a dish there called sala. And sala, if you look at bacon and you see the white stuff on the bacon, sala is just the white stuff. It's the fat, right? And they don't cook it. They grate it in garlic. They may put it in the freezer and freeze it. Take it out like a, like a block of cheese. Slice it. Put it on a piece of dark bread. And you just eat that stuff without it ever being cooked. So pray for me that God will give me grace to eat it. But pray also for me that God will give me grace to survive it. All right? For my cardiovascular system. So we can pray for our missionaries concerning culture. Secondly, we can pray practically for our missionaries concerning language. Language. Again, we're, we're trying to communicate the gospel and communicate the truths of scripture through not our native tongue. It can be hard enough sometimes. As I shared, I was pastor down in Kansas City area the last uh, over seven years and being down there, I mean, there are truths that can be hard to, to teach and describe in my first tongue, in my English tongue, but much less trying to take those and do it through another language. And so our missionaries, though they maybe even been on the field for a number of years, I'm telling you, they're still learning language. They're still learning idioms within that language and how more to greatly uh, uh, describe and to draw pictures and to teach in that language. We have a missionary friend who was a missionary for many years uh, in Japan. And the first uh, message he ever preached in Japanese was on a Sunday evening. And as he got up to preach that uh, Sunday evening, he had written his entire message out. He had had his translator, uh, interpreter go through the entire message. Everything was good. He was basically going to read it that night. So there was no way he could mess things up, right? And so the message was on sin. And he got up that night, and this is, we need to turn away from sin, follow Christ, that it glorifies God when we leave our sin behind and when we follow Christ. So come on, everybody, this evening, let's make a decision uh, to leave that old life behind, to leave that old sin behind, and let's follow after Christ. Well, he gave the invitation when he got done uh, with the message, and uh, there was one Japanese man that came forward that night, and afterwards he, he went to his interpreter and he said, listen, I, I felt as I was preaching that maybe I was missing the, a little something. The, sometimes their faces looked a little bit quizzical. Was there, was there something that I was doing wrong? And the interpreter said, well, the word in Japanese for sin and the word in Japanese for wife are very close and you were using the word for wife. And I've heard them, and they are very close. It's almost where you put the accent when you say the word. So you might have the right word written, but very easily you could understand how he would say the word wife. So what he was telling them that evening is that Christ is glorified when you leave your wife behind and when you follow Christ. That this, this honors Christ to leave your wives behind and to follow Christ. So come on, everybody, let's leave our wives and let's follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it makes you wonder about the guy that came forward, right? He, he probably thought, wow, this is the religion for me. I finally got one. I can leave her and have God all at the same time. Now, none of you men say amen. This is not a good time to say amen right now, okay? But so it's just a little bit important that we know the language and that we can communicate in that language. And your missionaries need your prayers in this. Let me give you just very quickly a third thought of how you can pray practically for your missionary. You can pray practically for your missionary concerning the family. And families come under great duress uh, when they go to the mission field. And often it's hardest on the wife and the children. 
Now let's begin for a moment, just think about the wife as she uh, is preparing for her family to go to a mission field and, and, and she's willing to go and follow her husband and God has called her husband to this and she goes with her husband to that mission field and they get over to that mission field and she wants to try to keep her home at that same standard uh, that her home had in America. Well, guess what she's not going to be able to do? She's not going to be able to keep the home at that same standard. First off, she's not going to be able to get the products that she could so easily get in America. She's not going to be able to fix the same meals that she learned from her mother and her grandmother and her own favorite meals growing up here in America because many of those things you have to make that product, you just can't get over there. When we went to Lithuania, you couldn't buy baking powder, you couldn't get brown sugar, uh, you couldn't buy peanut butter, there weren't no cake mixes or brownie mixes, there were no chocolate chips thinking, Lord, are you sure this is where you want me to be? There are no chocolate chips in the grocery store. That means no chocolate chip cookies. So that can make it hard. So you have to learn to cook more from scratch and to do things like this. Uh, And so it takes more time. Plus, with the wife also, as as she's there in the home, many a times the homeschooling kind of comes back where she's doing a lot of that administration and, and, and teaching and working in homeschooling with children. I'm telling you, these wives on the mission field are busier than you can imagine in these different cultures where they've been coming. And Satan is there as well to discourage them in every way that he can. And, and oftentimes, it's, it's, it's the wife that seems to have the greater struggle sometimes than even the husband. I think it's easier for the husband. So I want to especially encourage you women to pray for your missionary wives. To even contact maybe maybe one or two as God would lay upon your heart with all the different means of communication today. To even contact them and just for you to have communication with that wife and say, listen, how can I pray for you? Uh, How can I want some specific requests? We are so glad that you're there and we're so glad to have a part in your ministry and I want to be your friend. How can I pray for you? And just allow her to write back and to, to talk with you. And, and maybe you might even ask her, listen, is there anything there that you, that you can't get that you really miss? For example, in, in Lithuania, uh, you could get everything to do chili, but for the chili mix, right? You couldn't buy the mixes. Well, how hard would it be to, to get just those little packets of, of chili mix and, and spices and, and put four or five of those in, a, in an envelope and just send them over? Man, a little thing, but what a blessing it will be to that missionary and that missionary wife. What an encouragement it will be. Continuing with the family, what about the children? Many times the children, they, they're, they're American citizens by their passport, but they spend a majority of their life over here on the foreign mission field. They kind of end up in kind of a, a third culture group. They're not really, in our case, they weren't really uh, Lithuanian, though they understood a lot of Lithuanian culture, but they weren't fully received as Lithuanians because they were Americans. But when we came back to America, and they even during a furlough, they went to a, a Christian school, they weren't fully received in that Christian school because they didn't understand everything that was going on. Kind of a third culture group. And sometimes these kids can have trouble making that transition of God has not so called them to be on that mission field when they come back to a Bible college or when they come back to America. Don't forget to pray for the missionary children. Satan is attacking the family, the home. And oftentimes that's where he will see the victory. We need to keep them in prayer. So those are just some thoughts of how you can pray practically. Let me give you a couple of thoughts of how you can pray biblically this morning, all right? Let's turn over to the book of 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And look down with me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 1. Look what Paul says, Finally, brethren, 
pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. So pray for us, Paul is saying here, he is, he is pleading here. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course, that it may have freedom, that there may be no hindrances, that there may be these open doors of utterance to share the gospel, and that this gospel may be glorified even as it is with you. That the gospel of Jesus Christ has been glorified. There has been a work of that gospel in your heart and in your life to understand that gospel. And because you have repented before that gospel and trusted in the person of that gospel, Jesus Christ, it has been glorified even with you. And so I'm, I'm asking for your prayers, my brethren. That as I go out into these very different cultures with a gospel that is conf- uh, confronting those cultures... That you would pray for me that this gospel would be understood. That there would be a freedom to preach it. And that there would be an understanding of it as they hear it. Why? Because the God of this world, right, has blinded the eyes of those that do not believe. And the gospel to them is a mystery. What's a mystery? It's hidden from them. It's something that's hidden, something that's, that's not known. And so what has to be then for that gospel to be known? God has to be involved. God has to be convicting. God has to be drawing. God has to be working that that gospel be made known. Uh, take, guys, take your wife's finger and put it there in 2 Thessalonians. We're going to come back in a second so you can hold your places, all right? And turn over there with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 6. Guys, I'm just teasing on that, okay? Ephesians chapter 6, but we are going to come back to 2 Thessalonians. But Ephesians chapter 6. Look over here as the Apostle Paul is, is asking for prayer in Ephesians chapter 6. And, uh, and come down with me there to verse number 18. He said, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And then in verse 19, and for me. This is how you can pray for me, Paul is saying. Uh, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known, what? The mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So pray for me that God would give me a boldness as I speak, to speak, and that as that word of God goes out, that utterance may be given. That, that they may understand what I'm trying to communicate. That the mystery that's been hidden from them, that it may be made known unto them. Listen, the, the gospel and preaching the gospel, I mean, it is warfare. I mean, Satan works every way he can to, to keep that heart blinded to the truth of the gospel and to hinder that gospel from coming there. Do you think in these uh, countries that are Islamic or countries that are, are have maybe have some form of, of Christianity, but it's another form of, it's not a biblical form of Christianity, and, and he's got those people under his power, under his authority, do you think he's just going to willingly just let you come in with the gospel, or do you think he's going to try to hinder you in every way? Keep those minds dark to that truth. What's required? The power of God. And remember, your prayers to God for them are not just important. Your prayers to God for them are essential. Essential means that that gospel is not going to go there like it could had we here been praying for them. I turn over to the book of Colossians. Just go over a couple of books there. Philippians, Colossians. And uh, look down there with me in Colossians chapter 4. Verse number 2. He says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. 
Verse 3, here again he goes, this is how you can pray for me, with all, uh, with all praying also for us, that God would open to us a door of utterance, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So pray for me, that as I speak the gospel of Christ, that God would give clarity, that God would make known this truth, that, that God would work and make alive this message to those darkened hearts and darkened minds that they can understand this truth and concept of the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, he may be a, a superstar missionary. He may have great gifts to be able to, to speak. He may have the gift of teaching. And he may take that gospel and, and proclaim it. But I'm telling you right now, if he doesn't have a team of, of churches sharing in the contest with him, that, that gospel message is not going to have the same power. It's not going to have the same authority. And by the way, right here in this church uh, on Sunday, what is it that your pastor needs as he, as he preaches? I don't care how much he studied for his message. I don't care what kind of illustrations he has. I don't care what kind of education he may have. If he has not the power of the Holy Spirit of God working, nothing is going to take place. Nothing is going to happen. Paul said, when I came to you in Thessalonica, I didn't come in word only. I didn't come only with the gospel in word, but I came in what? In the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Your missionaries need your prayers, and your prayers to God for them are absolutely essential. And if we are not praying, souls are not getting saved over there like they could. This is your part on the team. This is what God has called you to do. One other thought. Go back there now, guys. Take your wife's finger out of 2 Thessalonians and go over back over there. Chapter 3, verse 1 we just read. Finally, brethren, pray, right, that the word of the Lord would have free course, that it might be glorified even as it is with you. But look in verse number 2. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. So he's praying also, or Paul's asking for prayer, that God would protect him. That God would keep him. That uh, he's asking for prayers for his safety. Why? Because all men have not what? Have not faith. You take this gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going into these cultures, that gospel confronts that culture. It is calling that culture to repentance. What's repentance? An acknowledgement that what I have believed and what I have thought is wrong, that what I have practiced is wrong, that I must turn from this and turn to Christ. That's something that's, that's commanded by God. God's commanding all men everywhere to repent. All right, we follow Paul in Acts. We see Paul take that, that confrontational message of the gospel out. What do we continually find Paul in as he takes that gospel out? Man, we find him in trouble. We find him beaten. We find him in prison, right? By the way, that's coming to America. Coming to a neighborhood near you soon, all right? That that the gospel of Jesus Christ, it confronts, and lost world doesn't like it. So Paul is saying, pray for me that God would keep me safe. Pray for me that God would protect me. Pray for me that God would preserve me, that I can keep proclaiming this truth. We have friends, uh, Julie and I do, we missionaries that are in the country, or not the country, but the area of Kurdistan, with the Kurds, northern Iraq. They are there today. Serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Surrounded by uh, Islam. 
surrounded by ISIS, right? ISIS is not in there, but ISIS is all around there. If a man, young man like this, senses the call of God to go, is willing to go, his wife is willing to submit herself to that call to go, and they're willing to put their lives in such danger in going to such a country, how much more should you and I, who have sent them, who know them, should be pleading before God with them to keep them safe? Because there are men that have not the faith. There's a Satan who wants to shut their mouths. He wants to take their lives. And I believe our prayers to God for them can bring marvelous, if you will, redemptions of their, of their lives where God can preserve them and keep them. Our prayers make a difference. So we should be praying for our, our missionaries. I read a book by a lady by the name of Rosalind Goforth. Her husband's name was Jonathan Goforth. The book was entitled Go Forth of China. She writes this story of her and her husband and their work in China and what God did through their lives in China. But she, she reveals a story in the book that was fascinating to me. It was of a man that of that time, probably late 1800s, early 1900s, who was called out of his church to take the gospel out to this island far off and away. I don't remember exactly where it was. And she shares that as he took his wife and two little girls to go, that They went, and uh, the church made this pledge to them. They said, listen, you go. We are going to hold the ropes for you in prayer. That's what they told them. So he took the message. He went down, and he took the gospel, and they began to preach this gospel. They began to labor uh, on this little island. And as they began to serve and to labor and to work, it just seemed like nothing was getting through to these dark hearts. They'd never heard something like this. This was so far from anything they'd ever heard before. It just seemed so distant begins to wonder, well, where is God? And where's God's power? Where's God's authority? I, I, I just thought the gospel would have a greater impact here. Well, during this time, his, uh, first his two daughters get sick. And they are both going to die. Can you imagine? Then his wife gets sick. And she dies. And no one has gotten saved He is wondering, where is the presence of God, the hand of God? Why has God left me? Why has God forsaken me? She writes, he comes back. He doesn't even tell them that he's coming back. Of course, back then it was much harder to communicate. He just comes back. And it happened to be, she writes, on a Wednesday night when he got back. And the service had already started that Wednesday night in that church. So he walked in and he just sat in the back of the service. And I guess no one even recognized that he was there. And that night as they went through prayer requests and had their service, uh, guess who they never even mentioned in prayer? I don't even know if they knew that his children had died, his wife had died, or that he had left defeated, but they never mentioned him in prayer. She writes that at the end of the service, he comes up before the church, and this is what he tells the church. He said, you know, I wondered while I was there, where was God? Where was the hand of God? Where was the presence of God? Why were all these things happening? He said, but tonight I have my answer. It's because you have failed to hold the ropes for us in prayer. And I'm just sharing with you uh, this morning that we have a role in missions. All of us, we're all on the team, if you're a born-again believer. We're all on the team. And if God has not called us to go, God has called us to give. And more than that this morning, God has called us to pray. 
And we share in the contest with them as we pray to God for them. We are holding the ropes for prayer for them as they go into these dark abysses, taking the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we are not holding the ropes for them in prayer, they're not going to be effective as they could for Christ. You say, well, is it really that important? Well, Paul said, remember his motivations. What was his one motivation? For the sake of the Lord Jesus. This is why I'm asking you to do this. For the glory of Christ to be known and for the love of the Spirit. If you love the Lord God, if you love your Lord and Savior, if you desire His glory to be known in the world, you're going to have a desire to share in the contest with your missionaries as you pray to God for them. And for the fields where they are, you've got some sweet families back here on the wall. They are in some very difficult places. Some of these places are very dangerous and becoming more so. Folks, I am pleading with you this morning that you would strive together with them in your prayers to God for them. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace. And we thank you.